Welcome back to Camden Cast. Once again, I'm Mark Brown, Eat More SK on Camden Chat, joined again by Andrew Gibson. Today we are inhaling the orange Kool-Aid, uh, just the powder directly, I think. We're not even bothered to turn it into liquid form, really, but uh, it's really, really an exciting time to be an Orioles fan. I'm, I'm shooting it straight into my eyeballs, personally. Okay, that might be a little bit more hardcore than I'm than I'm trying to get right now, but uh, well, we'll just um, yeah, we'll just let that go. So we're four games into the season, although by the time you all hear this, it'll be five games. So hopefully, nothing um, horrible happens tonight to harsh our buzz. Let's just get a little recap of how we got here. Opening day, which Andrew and I both spent in the friendly confines of Pickles Pub in uh, downtown Baltimore, along with. A number of other Camden chatters. It was surprising how many non-Camden chatters there were. Pickles was well, packed. There people were all were those people on the that were um, the dental school fundraiser people with the band we never had to hear. Thank goodness, because their uh. version of um, Freebird was really not good. Anyway, uh, so we got Jeremy Guthrie giving us the eight strong innings, no runs, striking out six. A little bit of drama with Jim Johnson giving up the home run in the ninth, and we were talking about that with the others as the game was over it was like our here we go again moment but in fact we didn't go again because we ended up winning that game four to one and uh off to a one and a start which was way better than last year it was sort of a uh, fake out like up oh, are we gonna do it uh no just shut the door right down on him but uh ben zobris to hit the home run He's really turned into kind of an incredible baseball player. He just came out of nowhere a couple of years ago and was like a super utility player. And throughout the whole first series in Tampa Bay, he was really the guy who was, he would come up to bat. And that was the the moment where I had to sort of sit back and be like, come on, don't, don't let this guy beat us again. So... Well, that's probably why he's their leadoff hitter, so you got to give Joe Madden credit. He actually knows, hey, put your number one OBP guy number one. Although, as we subsequently saw, um, not many Tampa Bay hitters are very good to start this season. No, no they're, they're in a little bit of a hole, I think, offensively. And losing Longoria is just, uh, I think if there's one player they can't afford to lose, it's him. But... I mean, they've they've already lost as we're recording this again today, so that gives them an 0-5 start. That's that's tough, but yeah, you know, I sort of felt all three games that we played against them were sort of very evenly matched games, which I know doesn't sound right because we outscored them by quite a bit. But uh, the first game was really decided by one horrible defensive play by Johnny Damon out in left field but other than that it was you know Guthrie and David Price were trading zeros throughout the game and uh just sort of let it get away from them there on one play that uh you know Carl Crawford I'm not sure that even falls in for a hit against him and without him with Johnny Damon it's a triple so little things and that was great for us because then in the Pickles Pub they all started doing the uh, the Johnny Damon clap 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 thing yeah, from that the was... Yankee Stadium days. That was that was one of my favorite opening day uh, parts, right? That there. was the highlight for me. I'm going to remember Definitely. that for a long time, I think. So moving along to game two, we saw Chris Tillman uh, 
fill in for Brian Mattis, who's going to be gone for another six weeks or so, give us his six no-hit innings, and he was pulled because of a high pitch count, which was probably for the better, because, I mean, really, it's exciting he had six no-hit innings, but it's not like he was, you know... Yeah, you know, he's going to... Going all the way on that one. He's going to, I think, be like that, where, outside of the hits, necessarily, I don't think he's going to throw no-hitters, you know, every time out or anything like that, but... You know, he he seemed like he was struggling a little bit with his command and and the finish on his pitches maybe a little bit at times. But uh, he's going to rack up high pitch counts relatively quickly. And I think it's very much to Buck Showalter's credit that he said, this is a young guy. The next four years of his career are more important than this one game. Let's get him out of there. Uh before things fall apart, you know. So I'm not sure necessarily that Dave Trembley pulls a starter who's got a no-no going, even if he's at 101 pitches or however many Tillman ended up having. Yeah, one of the hallmarks of the Dave Trembley era, to be sure, was just really him not seeming to have any consistent idea of how to handle the pitching staff. Like, he would either just pull a pitcher way too early and then go to this crap bullpen, or he would just leave in, especially relievers, he would just leave in like two batters too long sometimes. And it just really drove us all insane. And that's been one of the best parts of Buck. So uh, what do we get? Speaking of crappy bullpen, we saw <laughs> both Mike Gonzalez and Kevin Gregg in that second game. You know, it's funny uh, to me that the, one of the commercials – that Buck Showalter's starring in, and those are great, aren't they? Aren't they just the best? I am. I am enjoying the Buck commercials um, that we've seen on Madison. But one of them is that he doesn't like the win rule. He like, or he likes the win rule. He doesn't like the save rule. And and yes, that one actually came from one of his press conferences right. last year, and it's just great. I I think it's great to just see them featuring Buck as like, you know, a reason to get excited about this season. Well, yeah, and uh, I mean jumping ahead a little bit on opening day you can tell that so much of the excitement is just because of him and you know right or wrong he's sort of the guy right now and the Orioles very smartly are are jumping on that but uh this commercial he he doesn't like the save rule he likes the win rule but for a guy who's on record as saying that in a press conference and then in a commercial, you know, he had Kevin Gregg warming up, uh, I believe, on Friday, and then it stopped being a safe situation, and then he put in Jim Johnson, and then he brings in Kevin Gregg when it is a safe situation, and he looks terrible. Uh, it's pretty radical thinking for a manager, even as kind of some of the new ways of looking at baseball are starting to work their way in. Just It seems like just this idea that you have to have a closer is it's just really prominent still and uh it's you know it's good to see that buck's not necessarily going to get hung up on that well as we'll get into a little bit later today when we talk about texas some other teams are not handling that same question uh quite as well yes yeah i i definitely don't want to see the the orioles doing anything like what texas is doing with their closer situation but so kevin Gregg does have our have our save uh, so far and well you've probably seen that Nick Markakis catch by now and 
preserving our 2-0 record at that time, and that's really, I, that's going to be one of the phenomenal memories of the season, I think, just seeing him come out of nowhere on the mass and broadcast and just make that catch. As, like, and then when you watched it on slow motion later, it was like you could just see a Rays fan just like leaning over and thinking he was about to give the old Jeffrey Mayer treatment, but then he just like pulls away, game over, game over. That was great. Again, with the sort of, uh, it, it's almost like we have a dollar bill on a string, and we're like, here you go, here you go, Tampa Bay, here you go, and then, oh, nope, don't let it get away from you. But very, it was just... Thank goodness for Nick Markakis. That, that's all I got to say about that. Neither the first time nor the last that we will uh, be saying that, I'm sure. So let's see. The next day we got Wade Davis for the race going up against our new man, Zach Britton. That was, the merits uh... of bringing him up we'll be discussing later as well. But for then, once he was pitching, it was like, hey, good luck, guy. Yeah, and he came out, blew him away. Basically, you know, he 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 looked like he had been out there a million times already. You you'd never know he was making his major league debut. It was really fantastic just watching him work. I mean, he as we as we see with all of our young guys, really, as well as I mean Tillman and Jake Arrieta. There's just too many three ball counts sometimes, but that's what you're gonna get with young pitchers, and just the way he was fanning guys. I mean even when he walked somebody it was like, okay, he's just he's just got these great pitches. He's gonna he's gonna strike guys out. And uh even though in the press conferences after he was talking about how he didn't really have his sinker ball as uh as strong as it had been in the spring, so they just weren't throwing it. And that's like his bread and butter. So he pretty much destroyed the Rays lineup for six innings without even having his best pitch. That's that's pretty great. Yeah. And I was genuinely surprised because it looked like the fastball he was throwing had an awful lot of movement for a four-seamer. But, hey, that's why he's one of the top young players in baseball now. He's he's not one of the top prospects anymore. Now he's just one of the best pitchers. So, But uh, do, do you think that having face this sort of brick wall of starting pitching, uh, your opinion of, I guess, Tampa Bay's lineup, has that, I guess, fallen off since since Friday? Is that even fair to, to make that sort of judgment based on one series? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know much about what these guys' potential was for this year, but obviously, like, Manny Ramirez, I think, was benched today, and he's apparently going to be benched tomorrow because he's dealing with some kind of personal issue. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's the headline I saw on ESPN. That's not website. something I even and, want to uh, know about. Yeah, anything Manny Ramirez' personal issue, we can just, uh, let's not find out more about, right? But, um, yeah, I think maybe... You know, one of the things about this is, okay, how 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 bad are the Rays? Like, is this a sign that the Rays are bad, or that we're just that good? Hopefully, it's more that we're that good. But well, I, I guess we'll we'll have to know after a few more weeks and see what the Rays are performing. I mean, like like I said, I I feel like even though the the final scores of all of the games were not particularly close, I feel like all of them were pretty much decided by just a handful of plays that happened to go the Orioles way like Brian Roberts hits a home run at a clutch moment and 
Ben Zobris hits a home run at an unclutch moment, that, that sort of thing. But I think they're going to be fine, and uh, we're going to come back into Tampa Bay whenever the schedule brings us back down there, and it's not going to be quite as easy feeling, I guess. Uh, yeah, once they get into their rhythm, it'll probably be... A little bit different. Let's see. Our next date against Tampa is May the sixth, and that's in Baltimore. So well, we'll see how we look and how they look. Yeah, I, I think I a month is a pretty good sort of uh, point in time uh, in the season to sort of assess where everybody's at. And even then, it's still going to be so early in the season. There's a lot of baseball to play. I have a hard time believing Tampa Bay is not going to be able to score runs at all this year. And so far, that's that's definitely been the case. But on the other hand, you know, the Oriole pitching, especially the starting pitching, uh, it, it, it hasn't been just this first four games this season. Right, you go back to when Buck Walter was started. I mean, that's when the turnaround started. You can attribute that to Buck or not, uh, but it's definitely been, since he's been here, the guys have just done a lot better. The young guys, and Guthrie both, really. Everybody just has been performing better. And, I mean, I don't see any reason why that cannot continue through the season and that's something to be pretty excited about. Well, they've been a little lucky in a lot of different regards. The defense has been sort of unworldly sharp over the past four games and also the past two months of the, the last two months of last season. And there're new guys out there this year, so I don't know how much of that is simply Buck Showalter or, or any one other thing, but again, yeah, through through four games, Orioles pitching the batting average on balls in play is 191, yeah, and the assumed mean for that is 300. So, you know, that's not going to last uh, forever. But but it's even outside I mean, of that, the pitching has been still very good. It hasn't been sub one ERA good, but. You know, it, it, it's not at a point where I can say this is just how it is because it's been two months and four games. But better than we really would have expected to see in a four-game streak yeah, at any point. Yeah. Just any time you get four straight solid outings from your starters, you got to be a little excited, especially when there's so much uncertainty from young guys. Yeah, and it's just felt like the Orioles have gone in and just taking care of business. They they have not felt like the Orioles of the past just yet in this season. So here's here's keeping my fingers crossed that that continues. Speaking of Orioles of the past, we got to see legendary Earl Weaver throwing out the ceremonial first pitch uh, at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I unfortunately did not get to be there, but you were. So why don't you uh, tell everybody? A little bit about the experience, so we can all live vicariously <laughs> through uh, through your excitement. Well, it was my first opening day uh, ever in person, and opening day at Camden Yards is even on the TV or the radio. Uh, I, I went to school in upstate New York, so I usually did not have the opportunity to be down there, but it was always still a special day, and to be there at the start of the season 
when they're playing this well and there's a lot more optimism than there has been, especially over the past couple years. Um, it It's very easy to get caught up in it. Um, I can definitely see where <laughs> there's a lot of optimism because I've just, I've never been down at the stadium and not been able to see the street because there's so much orange and, and so much black. Uh, and yeah, I've seen that when I've been down there for a Ravens game, the one time I got to go to a Ravens game, but then that was purple and black. I've never just seen the streets flooded with Orioles fans. I mean, even I get my favorite opening day. I have been to probably four was a couple years ago when we were playing the Yankees to open the season. And even then there were a significant number of Yankee fans, although the stadium was just completely packed mostly with Orioles fans yeah. because to get tickets ahead of time, they made you buy a, uh, a, a plan that had non-prime games <laughs> attached to it. So obviously the Yankee fans weren't going to be buying um, four game packs just to uh, get their tickets. And every time a Yankee cheer started, it was Orioles fans shouting them down. And that was pretty cool too. But it seems like what from watching it on TV, this one was just so much more exciting than even that. Yeah. Nobody left at all early that I could see. Everybody was hanging on every pitch. And uh, one of the things you always hear is like, well, these fans have to have the scoreboard tell them when to cheer. And that was not the case at all on Monday. And it was just, it was so nice. And uh, I, I leaned over to my, my girlfriend and my mom, who I was at the game with, uh, with my family. And I said, this is going to be really nice when it's like this in September. Because, well, it, it's it's easy to dream on the team when it's opening day, and this was just the perfect opening day to dream on the team for. Um, I'm sorry you missed it. <laughs> yeah, I am too, but that's life. So I tell you what, one of the favorite things for me was just that in the pregame introductions, I swear the loudest cheers were for like. Buck Showalter and then Zach Breton. So it's like, you know, the people that are there. I mean, they're not just, well, I'm sure there were a lot who, as we wrote on Camden Chat, are just kind of the drunken 20 something <laughs> D bags. But I mean, there's a lot of people there that know who Zach Breton is, understand that it's exciting that he's there in uniform, that he'll be pitching uh, as this season. It's pretty weird just the way, I guess, baseball culture, baseball fandom culture has evolved where these big prospects, these big-name prospects, even guys who were relatively unknown, even, I think, before spring training, Zach Britton, not exactly a household name in Baltimore, but, like, last year when Steven Strasburg came up for the Nats, and that became, like, a huge event. Uh, you know, the tickets for the game that he was called up for were sold out, like, way, way, way ahead of time, and it just seems like the the importance of homegrown prospects has grown so exponentially over the past couple of years that well it makes me feel good because you know i i like to consider myself sort of a uh, more informed fan than your average street walker and i feel like everybody's sort of coming up to that level where they're starting to follow the minors a lot more and you, you see that sort of appreciation for a guy like Zach Britton just because 
I, I, I'm not even sure it had anything to do with the fact that he pitched really well in his first game so much as they're just happy he's here. Right, here's a guy who's going to represent better times. And you can even take that back a few years. I was at the game where Nick Markakis debuted. I mean, he did, he wasn't in the starting lineup, but I just remember uh, the opening day where he had first made the roster, I was at that game. And so I was, you know, excited to see him because I had been reading about, oh, Nick Markakis, he's going to be awesome. And, like, you know, he didn't get a cheer really any louder than anybody else that wasn't in the starting lineup that year and you know you come come now a few years later and it's like zach Britton and everybody goes nuts it's pretty cool yeah it was it was very cool um and and i'm really thrilled to see what he does next and what what happens with this team It, it just feels like i guess i don't know it feels like the fans are are really getting behind the team but so Earl Weaver threw out the ceremonial first pitch, but uh, in your perfect world, that would have been somebody else who was throwing out the first pitch. So, well, go ahead and go ahead and give us. I your mean, I'm not going to complain about Earl Weaver because you know he's he's Earl Weaver. Right, you can't go wrong with like Earl Weaver, or Cal Ripken throwing out first pitches yeah, for Orioles. But uh, back in on New Year's Day, in fact, I was I was sitting in my friend's house in West Philadelphia, and I was I was thinking about. Well, I had been thinking for a couple of days about uh, just what I wanted to see from the Orioles in a non-baseball sense this year. Um, and truthfully, you know, I feel like there's been sort of a, a stronger connection to the local ties and local history. Like, you, you had the new food vendors come in with... Little Italy subs and and Natty Bow on draft for seven dollars or whatever. And yeah, I, which really, I mean, doesn't that defeat the purpose of National Bohemian Beer if you're paid seven fifty for that? But I mean, you know, and yet, there's money and yet, to be I made walk, on that Baltimore nostalgia. <laughs> I walked past the the vendor and there was a huge line for it. So, but it, I guess it's <laughs> worth something to people to drink Natty Bow in Camden Yards. Uh, uh, you can you I can guess. get one in Camden Yards or a six-pack at the gas station across the street from Camden Yards. Um, but uh, just the sort of connection to the the history of the team, which is so rich. Um, and so the point of what I wrote was that I wanted to see the Orioles, as an organization, try to re-embrace Mike Messina, who, of course, went to the Yankees and... Uh, I don't know about you, Mark, but for me, the day he went to the Yankees was just, it, it had to be one of the most painful days of my, my fandom as a Oriole fan. People are definitely split on the Mucina thing. I, there was a lot of anger at the time, and I just remember just because I hated the Yankees so much. So that was, that was what, four years after 1996, and my deep hatred of the Yankees has been ever since the Jeffrey Mayer thing. It was just like, oh my god, how could he go to the Yankees? I could I could never forgive him for this. Uh, since then, I don't know why, I've just mellowed out. It's like, you know, well, you hear some more of the, de- you know, you hear the, uh, the details of the story, and it was basically, th- the gist I understand now is he really wanted to come back to Baltimore, but the front office didn't give him a fair 
respectful offer. And the Yankees just swooped in and kind of wined him and dined him and gave him a godfather offer that he couldn't refuse. And it was like, all right, well, you got, you know, this is on the table for like a day, take it or leave it. And then he decided to take it. And, uh, and then he was a Yankee and you know, that's, uh, that's history. I mean, it, it just, it's even now it's, it's just a painful memory as an Oriole fan. He was, I, I think what gets lost a little bit in the anger towards him that still exists, uh, he was one of the greatest Orioles, not just Oriole pitchers, but one of the greatest Orioles of all time. Uh, when Cal Ripken broke Lou Gehrig's consecutive games played streak, the guy on the mound was Mike Messina because he wanted to be a part of that moment in history. And I think, you know, he was a smart Stanford cerebral type guy and I think he understood the history of of the Baltimore Orioles and that he fit in very intimately in that history in a lot of different ways Uh, although to some extent I wonder if he realized things were going down and that was another factor in him leaving when he did because I mean his last season here was 2000 and that was where things were starting to fall off but I the, the depth of uh, the despair that we were going to experience for the next decade wasn't yet really known. I mean, it's probably coincidental, but it's uh, it's it's interesting. Well, certainly, certainly, him leaving didn't help uh, help us field a good team for the rest of his career. You have to wonder the uh, the 2004 team and the 2005 team in Baltimore had such great offenses. I think 2004 was the eighth best run scoring team in either the American League or, or baseball. It, baseball. They were the eighth eighth highest scoring team in baseball, but that was a pitching staff led by Rodrigo Lopez and Bruce Chen and, and all these other slubs. Uh, and Schlubs definitely <laughs> describes a lot of our pitching through the mid-90s. You have to wonder if we had held on to Messina, how special those teams really could have been. Uh, but that's neither here nor there, because what happened happened. And I think a lot of, for me, my sort of grasping with the whole concept of Mike Messina as a Yankee is just, it happened. And... He's going to go down in a lot of different memories as a Yankee. And that's just, I don't like it. That's just how it is. And part of what I don't like about it is he is an Oriole. In in my head, He he's one of the best Oriole pitchers. He's one of the best Orioles. And there's just, you know, the, a couple of weeks ago, the Orioles elected the the Orioles Hall of Fame to Mike Bordick. And where is Mike Messina? Right. And it's interesting. You talk about wanting the Orioles to embrace Mike Messina. And the the first pitch that was thrown out in Yankee Stadium for their home opener was by Mike Messina. So it's just, it's, it's, it's strange that... Uh, Although I mean, uh, why? Why is I mean, of all the living great Yankees they could have had, and they and they're bringing Mike Musina. It's almost like <laughs> a war is being waged for the post-career soul of Mike Musina, the same way that uh, it was for his services as a player. And 
I mean, the Orioles, I don't even think they know there's a battle on and they're yeah. losing because there he is throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium. But, which, I mean, which is pretty crazy. You know, there's nothing I can do and there's nothing you can do, but yeah, I, I, I desperately want to see him back. Just wearing an Orioles hat and, and just saying, you know, whatever happened, happened, I'm still an Oriole. Um, and I don't know how he feels about it, obviously, but I, I just, if, if I had one wish and I couldn't wish for the Orioles to win the World Series, it would be to, to see Mike Messina sort of re-embrace Baltimore and Baltimore to re-embrace him because that's the way it should be. Definitely, Mike Mussin in 1992 has to be probably the best pitching season by an Oriole since I've been really old enough to be cognizant of the Orioles, which probably goes back to 1988 or 89. Unfortunate for me if it's 88. <laughs> but 1992, Mussin throws 241 innings and has a 2.54 ERA. I mean, that's like Roy Halladay in in last year. Uh Eight complete games, four shutouts. Just dominance. He he was so good. And like I mean I I mean I knew I realized he was on the Orioles, but it's like I I guess I'm just guilty of criminally underappreciating Mike Mussina because thinking through the Orioles games of going to my childhood, I really don't remember one where I was there and I was like, oh my God, Mike Mussina's pitching. <laughs> like I remember pitchers from the other teams like I remember going and seeing Randy Johnson when yeah, he was still right, on Seattle right. or like you know Roger Clemens when he was really rocking or Pedro Martinez and it's like I see all these seasons where Mike Mussina just is throwing 200 innings has an ERA of like like 1995 221 innings 3.29 ERA why don't I remember Mike Mussina pitching in 1995 I don't and know like the last playoff game the Orioles were in Mike Mussina had that just electric I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was something like 12 or 15 strikeouts in Cleveland, and then Armando Benitez came in and blew the game. But um, it was just... I think we can very easily forget that he was just this, like I said, a Roy Halladay-level talent for the Orioles, and he was the last pitcher that was like that, that it was like an event to go see him pitch. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you are, Mark, but I don't really remember that specifically. I, I don't remember seeing him in person pitching in the black and orange. And I certainly got a lot of joy out of watching him pitch in pinstripes and get hit around a little bit, but, uh, you know... Uh, I think part of it is he never won 20 games until his last season in New York. And as much as we all know that wins are a, a terrible way to evaluate pitchers, uh, I, I feel like just saying that is one of the first things that comes up with Mike Messina. And then everything's just viewed through this this sort of, uh, well, he didn't win 20 games. How good could he have been? And yeah, that's one of the things I don't like as much when people just summarily reject wins. Like, within a single season, you can say, like, last year, okay, Felix Hernandez only won 13 games, but, so, oh my god, the, the guys didn't think he should win the Cy Young. But when you get to the career level and you're looking at Mike Messina has 270 wins career. 
I mean, you got to be a pretty good pitcher to pitch long enough to get that many wins. Sure. So that mean that doesn't mean he's automatically a better pitcher than anybody with less wins, or that he's a worse pitcher than anybody with more wins. I think you can say with the statement, 270 wins. That guy, that was a, he had a pretty darn good career. He really did. Uh, I don't think you need to look at wins to to find out that yeah, he had a yeah. really good career. But and unfortunately for Mike, he never did get his World Series <laughs> ring because the year after he retired was when the Yankees ended their World Series draft. Coincidence. Yeah, the curse of the Mike Mussina maybe was what uh, what was it play there. But anyway, I, I still want to see him come back and, and throw out the first pitch and, and sort of be welcome back. And when he does, I've got my Mike Messina t-shirt. I'm ready to go out and, and welcome him back. So Ready to go retro yeah. there. So let's see. Maybe the next great Orioles pitcher will be Zach Britton, who we've talked about already today. Now, both of us... Um, had kind of a negative reaction when we were at Pickles after the opening day game and uh, looked up at the screen and there's the graphic saying Sunday's starter and there's Zach Britton and they're talking about his spring training stats. And we were looking there like, oh my God, what are they doing? Uh, Bill Duck came back from walking off to get a drink and he thought we were giving him an April Fool's joke when we were like, hey, Zach Britton's starting on Sunday. Duck's like, nah, don't believe it. You guys are having fun with me. But no, it was for real, and uh, you know there was a lot of debate about, oh, is that a good move? Is that a bad move? Because now, by not calling him up three weeks later, we lose a year, and I don't know. I've gone, I've gone totally mad about it. To now, it's just like, ah, you know what? He's here. Well, pitch well. I I didn't like the move uh, because. Now, with Guthrie down, it sort of seems inevitable because there's just not enough spot starters to go around for all these pitchers that we're losing. But I I didn't like the move. Uh, I I don't think it was particularly smart. But that said, um, I I told Stacy on opening day I was having a drink with her before the first pitch, and I, I said, as soon as he threw that first pitch, my whole mindset was, well, we can't reverse this, so now he, you know, let's go get him, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, because there was a lot of anger about it, because on an abstract level, it's like, okay, you're not getting the most out of your asset when 2011 is probably not going to be a crucial year in terms of the Orioles contending, and what if it is in... Like, by not calling him up until April 21st or whatever, that means the Orioles would control him in 2017, and now he's going to be a free agent after 2016 instead. And when you get there and you're just, like, talking about what's going to happen six, seven years from now, it's less like, who cares, you know? I want him to be good in 2011. I don't want to be sitting here, like, lamenting, oh, my God, what if we had an extra year of Zach Britton well, in 2017? Yeah, but at the same time... The thing Andy McPhail was supposed to bring to this organization, more than anything else, was patience. Uh, he put in this plan, and we we suffered through a lot of losing, which, boy, uh, it's so bad. I can't even tell you off the top of my head how many years it's been, because it feels like it's been 20 years. But uh, 13, 13 losing seasons in a um, row. Yeah. But, but now it, it feels like there's just this... this shift in thinking into like 
we don't have to be patient anymore. And, I mean, we had to wait 11 days to, to get Zach Britton for another year. Um, Contrast that with how they handled the Matt Weeders two years ago, and they didn't call him up till late May, because not only were they worried about that extra year, but they didn't want to pay him the Super 2 arbitration right. year. But uh, they also had Greg Zahn, who, who oh, was yeah. playing really well, that. actually. So there wasn't really that need like there was when, when Brian Mattis went down. But I think, really, the, I mean, there's a little bit of concern for me over, is Zach Britton ready? Uh, a little bit of concern. I suspect he is, because he's just looked, he, he's looked in control, I guess is how I would put it. Um, the, you're never going to know if, if a guy is ready to be up or, or not, but... So far, so I think good. Our just our knee-jerk reaction was just to think, "Oh my God, it's a sign that they're desperate, they're panicking." But maybe we need to give them a little bit more credit than that, and maybe they actually looked at all their options and looked at it and thought, "You know what, Zach Britton, uh, it's go time." You yeah, know? I, I think this the really the lamest part of all of this is that the argument against bringing him up is contractual. In, in that's the primary argument. There's a little bit of concern about is he ready, but really it's we want him for another year, and that's outside of how ready he is. And the fact that there's a rule that says you have to not play with the players you want to play with in order to keep them as long as you want them is dumb. It's just dumb. It's a dumb rule. There's I, I don't understand the justification for it, and I hope that it gets thrown away in the next labor yeah, talks. It hurts hurts the players that get don't get to start their big good career. It hurts the teams that don't get to have their best teams. So we'll see if that's something that gets adjusted in the in the CBA. Uh, certainly, I'm not a labor lawyer. Yeah, I'm yeah. not you know I don't have any inside knowledge about that. But that's just something I've heard. That's going to be one of the things they talk about. Um, the Orioles are not the only team that had this sort of dilemma because the Seattle Mariners, one of their top prospects, I think Michael Pineda, uh, they brought him up to start in the rotation opening day, and there was a lot of the same stuff discussed there because it's like, oh, they could have waited three weeks and brought him up, but he was one of their best pitchers, so they had him in the rotation to start out. And I mean, I don't really know anything about that other than I read, oh, this same dilemma, but... Yeah, it's just interesting to see how different teams handle it. I guess depends on where you are in the development cycle. And uh, I think. Well, I guess the the Orioles want us to think they're farther along in the yeah. development cycle than maybe. Well, I I think really sort of the unspoken thing going on. At least I haven't heard it talked about nearly as much as I think it's it's a part of the story. Is how much is losing Brian Matt is going to hurt the Orioles because. You would think you bring up your your young players and ignore the the contract stuff and the Super 2 stuff if you think you have a chance to win this year. And everything that Andy McPhail has said says he thinks the Orioles can win this year. And I don't know if that's just what else is he going to say to the papers. Or, oh, or yeah, the only thing, when I hear him saying that, I can't help but say, yeah, but that's what he said last right. year too. Now, four games this year versus four games last year. You think about four games last year, we'd already seen two blown Michael Gonzalez saves. So really just a world of difference in the, the fan psyche. Sure, but... Or certainly the, the Mark psyche. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the one game that 
Gonzalez didn't blow last year in Tampa. It was still just a terror. I was a I was a wreck. I was swearing. I was sitting in a bar. I was watching it on my phone, and I was just like, "Well, it, this is a family podcast, so I'm not gonna relate." Right, we haven't. <laughs> amazingly, we have not cursed yet, so we're actually trying to keep the podcast safe for work. So we'll uh, we'll trail off on that. But song, uh, I guess. the the point I'm trying to make is, if Brian Mattis is down, the chance of the Orioles. Uh, keeping this this hot pitching streak going because you know they haven't exactly been swinging the bats very well yet um it's been a lot of run prevention um although that is one hopeful thing because you realize the bats aren't firing on all cylinders either so sure the pitching is due to regress but the bats are due to heat up too, so but but it's it's gonna come into probably more of a muddled <laughs> middle of a lot of five four yeah. games or maybe even seven six games and uh, hopefully the timely hits and bullpen not being terrible will mean we're winning those more often than losing. But uh, I I'm just I'm I'm not really sure where I stand on it. But without Brian Matt is just uh, I'm a lot more concerned about the starting rotation over the next month and a half. Um, I, I don't know really what what I'm supposed to think about that even but it's it's gonna have some uncertainty because even as good as we saw uh, Tillman uh, Britain and Arietta those guys are gonna have some rough games and you know hopefully they don't have all three of them have a rough time through the rotation because if they do you know that's a three game losing streak uh, right yeah. there um, and and uh, let's not forget, Brian Mattis is, I think, the best of those those pitchers. Even even with Zach Britton, um, just especially down the stretch last August and September, he looked so just dominant. Especially against teams like the Red Sox, who are supposed to be juggernauts this year, even if they haven't exactly shown it yet. But Seeing Brian Mattis' uh, August and September, it really was not fair that he came in like seventh in Rookie of the Year voting. Yeah. And some of the people who were ahead of him were just like, come on, really? Well, I mean, it's just uh, when you look at some of the other players that were up in that in that ballot, it, it, I, it's not hard to justify in, yes, uh, seventh. Uh, leaving him off, I guess. Even though I, I certainly thought he deserved a, a better shake than what he ended up getting. The winner was Neftali Feliz. Second place, Austin Jackson for Detroit. Third place, Danny Valencia for the Twins. Okay, those guys hit okay, but come on. Well, uh, like Wade Davis, <laughs> Brennan Bosch. Brennan Bosch, uh, I'm not so sure about, but Wade Davis, he, you know. I think he's a pitcher with uh, a a lot of good innings ahead of him, and uh, you know he he put up a pretty good fight, even though he ended up not winning that fight. But he he put on a, a pretty good fight on Sunday. Um, so uh, right, if not for Brian Roberts just willing the <laughs> home run, it could have been a different game there. But you know, certainly the the. Homer in me wishes Brian Mattis was more renowned, but uh, if this hot streak He'll continues due, in this I season, I think all of us are going to see a lot more renown. And well, well, I don't think you and I personally will be getting more renown, but we can hope that uh, Orioles players will, in fact, get more renown. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. 
N- Although who knows? Can the chat maybe taken off as the Orioles uh, do well? But no. Anyway, uh, so let's see. Talking about Neftali Feliz, last year's AL Rookie of the Year. Our next series is going to be against Texas once we're done with Oof. Detroit, and they made an interesting choice with Feliz because he's a strong rotation candidate for them if they had actually put him in the rotation. But they basically decided that they needed a closer more than they needed a good starter. And so he's going to be their closer again this year. Well, I'm, I'm not... I just I don't understand the thinking that goes into that decision because you look at Texas and uh, we're playing them this weekend and I'm a little terrified because the way they can swing the bats uh, it's just uh, I'm not sure I'm ready for our young pitchers to be put through that test just yet but uh, it, it seems like any holes that they have are on the pitching side of things and it seems like you know I, I think um, Ron Washington, the manager of the Texas Rangers, said something like he needed a, a veteran closer that he knew could get the job done. But last year, Neftali Felipe was a rookie closer who had never. Right, gotten he the was job an done. unproven closer. It only takes one year of being the closer to become a proven closer. And even then, what are you doing? Like, I mean, you think go back a few years, the Orioles had B.J. Ryan, and okay, he was unproven. Then all of a sudden, he was a proven closer. He got a huge contract from Toronto, and he blew out his elbow. Uh, but but I love B.J. Ryan, so I, I will say no bad words about B.J. Ryan. I don't have anything bad to say about him either. I just think that's a perfect example of why you don't need to go crazy with the concept of the closer. Because, <laughs> one, if you, owe, if you overpay for your closer, one, the next year they may suck. Because this volatility from one year to the next is just... Unless you're Mariano Rivera, uh, it's probably going to happen in your bullpen. And two, if they get hurt, you're just out anyway. And I think both of those things happen to Toronto with the uh, B.J. Ryan situation. Well, yeah, and it happens to a lot of teams. It's it's remarkable that nobody seems to be learning the lesson that like you should not give all these guys huge contracts. Uh, you look at like, Houston. Michael just Gonzalez had, uh, gets two years, $10 million. <laughs> yeah. What happens? Oh, he was terrible. Let's go give Kevin Gregg two years and $10 million. Yeah, exactly. And it just, if he's terrible, do we give the next guy down the line two years, $10 million? Right. Who's next? Who are we going to have on the 2012 uh, Orioles that, uh, that shouldn't have had a two-year $10 million contract? I don't know. But... Uh, I, I, I guess the plan is still to put Phillies back in the rotation after this season. But it's like, if you're at the beginning of the season and you're saying, oh, well, next year we definitely want to go the whole season with him as the starter. Like, why don't you just do that now? Because like, what are they going to do if they come around to next year and they still have not another closer? <laughs> oh, we need to have a closer. Well, Here's Neftali Felice. He's our closer. We can't put him in the rotation. I'm sure they'll be more than happy to sign Michael Gonzalez to like a four-year deal for $25 million or something to fill something that hole. like that. Uh, who knows what they're going to do. So there's been some interesting drama with Texas in the offseason because they had their uh, the player that on the Sports Blog Nation Rangers site there's Michael Young. They jokingly just call him Face because <laughs> the front office just tries to make him the face of the franchise. Well, first he was, what, a second baseman, but he wasn't good enough to do that, so they made him a shortstop. And somehow he deceived the voting public, whoever votes on gold gloves, into giving him a gold glove at shortstop. But 
all the defensive metrics say he's a bad shortstop. Yeah. So yeah. then Elvis Andrews came up, and suddenly they had to make him a third baseman. And the offseason, they signed Adrian Beltre, who's obviously a way better third baseman than Michael Young. <laughs> so now he's going to be the DH. And then they traded for Mike Napoli, so now he's going to be the part-time DH. And he's uh, he's on a five-year $80 million, $80 million contract through 2013. I don't know. So I mean... it, it could be worse for Orioles with bad contracts, I think. At least we don't have one of those. It, it sucks to... I guess have this. I, I mean, I I've spent approximately zero percent of my time thinking about Michael Young, but it, it's got to suck to have this this player who, for whatever reason, uh, is the face of your franchise, even if he's not particularly very good. Um, and to just he's in fact sorted, a career Texas Rangers yeah. hit leader. One of those games when we swept them in Texas last year, they were honoring him before the game, and he has 1,854 career hits. Yeah, so he's a Texas Ranger, and they're they're jerking him around, and I I don't blame the front office of the Rangers because Michael Young is not a very good player anymore, if he ever was. Um, had a good season at the plate in 2009. 374 on base, well, 518 slugging. I mean, but he gives so much of that back year. in the field. But right. Exactly. You know, it just, for a Rangers fan, for your average Rangers fan, even if the player is not very good, um, it, it must just suck to watch them jerk around. Who, the guy who is basically, at, at the moment, Mr. Texas Ranger. No offense to Nolan Ryan, who I'm sure is the official title holder, but uh, and as a part team owner now, he's even more in a place to be Mister Texas Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't, know, you know, all these players that they keep acquiring them for, it's you. You can't complain that like, oh, we're pushing you aside for Elvis Andrews. Well, right, of you course can't you bury are. Elvis Andrews in the minors so Michael Young can play shortstop. And you can't be like, oh, we can't sign Adrian Beltre because we got Michael Young at third base. But, yeah, you do have to feel a little bad for the guy just on a human yeah, level. Um, but as a baseball player, I mean, I, I guess I have, like I said, I, I haven't rubbed two brain cells together in, in uh, any sort of contemplation over... What are they going to do with Michael Young? I'm I'm just glad the Orioles didn't freak out in spring training and say we need a second baseman because Brian Roberts is hurt. Let's go get Michael Young. Cause or trade for anybody yeah, that would have been that would have been terrible. Yeah, our insurance there is Cesar Torres, I guess, and the less we see him, the better. Yeah, uh, I think especially this opening series, you you sort of see Brian Roberts has been our home run hitter. He's the you only realize what we missed last season. And he's just, he's such a good player. And, you know, he's a better baseball player than Michael Young. And I think he always has been. Uh, again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. but And I'm a biased Orioles fan. But Brian Roberts, this is, this is the Brian Roberts era of the Orioles. And it's just, it, life is better when he's on the field, as far as I'm concerned. Texas has 13 home runs through their games uh, this season, so I think we're going to see some balls landing in the seats in uh, Oriole Park yeah, and Camden Yards the when Orioles, they come into town. The Orioles are giving up a lot of fly balls, so it's a it's 
not a combination that I'm comfortable with as an Orioles fan. But we'll see. I mean, we've been playing really well, sort of, in spite of a couple things. Uh, a lot of balls that are in play that are getting caught. Um, so anything can happen. Speaking of teams who are hitting a lot of home runs, next in the Camden Yards after the Rangers is going to be, or maybe we're going on the road yeah, for the Yankees. Yeah. But either way, we're we're playing the Yankees after Texas. They also have 13 home runs through five games. Mark Teixeira not getting off to his usual crappy April. He has four home runs already. Uh, Jorge Posada as three. <laughs> when is wasn't he supposed to be old? When Pit, is, come on, when is go ahead and get old. Tell already. him that he's like. 52 years old and he needs to not be any good at playing baseball anymore. I've been waiting for that to happen to Derek Jeter for a couple years now too and it just uh it just hasn't. Been. Uh, but the 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 upcoming slate of games I think. Jorge Posada is turning 40 in August. Well, 52, 40, it's the same thing. <laughs> That's all for a catcher although he's DHing this year if I remember yeah. right. But um but it's going to be get a, old. a tough little slate. Yankees all need to get old. Yes. Um, I never, I never like watching Yankee Orioles games. They just, they're much more stressful for me as a person. I, I spend a lot less time actively enjoying myself and a lot more time pacing around my my waiting apartment. for the disaster to strike. Yeah. So, but who knows? This year, it could be the year that disaster starts striking them. Uh, it, the Yankees do early. have a lot of question marks in their rotation. Basically take out CeCe Sabathia and you've got <laughs> nothing. Because A.J. Burnett, okay, he's always going to be wild. And Joe Girardi's going to complain when Jeremy Guthrie hits somebody, but won't say a thing when A.J. Burnett hits like four guys. Phil Hughes, apparently uh, there's a lot of concern about him because he's had a serious velocity drop in his fastball of like three or more miles an hour, which is pretty much a big deal. Ivan Nova, young, who knows what you're going to get. And then what, Freddie Garcia? Okay. Yeah. And then waiting in the wings and the minors or the bullpen is like Bartolo Colon and then Kevin Millwood. And we all know what I think about Kevin Millwood. And then Bartolo Colon just has the fattest picture on his ESPN profile you're you're ever going to see. Well, I, <laughs> Although his his current listed his height and weight listed right on there is six zero and one hundred eighty five pounds. But come on. One eighty five. I think that maybe is just counting the shoulders up portion <laughs> that's showing on this player picture. I think he has five chins in this picture series. He's hundred and eighty five pounds. There's there's gotta be a couple zeros missing or, or something. Right. They uh they, they're missing some zeros, exactly. <laughs> so what are you going to do? So that's who's coming up for the Orioles. And the Yankees right now, by the way, are 3-2. and two, So we're a game and a half ahead of them. Well, whatever happens tonight, we'll adjust that. We'll already be out of date before we even yeah. publish. But what are you going to do? Well, we'll just assume that we're still a game and a half ahead of them. At worst, we'll be one game ahead of them. Well, no, because they play tonight. But Do, do you whatever. know what the pitching matchups are shaping up to be against them. I know that's sort of a I don't little I think of time. they have it that far out on... Uh... Oh, wait, here we go. First game... Okay, it looks like we're going to get uh, Freddie Garcia, A.J. Burnett, and then Phil Well, Hughes. that, I think, is pretty lucky. Pretty lucky. Uh, one of the problems I, I've had just 
watching the Orioles. I, I feel pretty awful <laughs> talking about the problems I have watching the Orioles, but uh, the middle of the lineup right now just looks tremendously old more than anything else. It, it just looks like... Derek Lee and Vlad yeah, Guerrero, it, it, one or the other needs to really turn it around. It just looks like the bat speed is gone. Totally gone. And uh, to, to get Freddie Garcia and, and Phil Hughes, I think, is a boon to these guys who can maybe feast a little bit more on some lesser stuff. Uh, and, you know, anytime you're facing the Yankees and you don't have to see CC Sabathia, always a good thing. Right, that is pretty lucky. Let's see, yeah, he's pitching on Sunday the 10th, so we wouldn't see him on the series that's 12th, 13th, and 14th, unless something really, really funny happened. Well, so that's that's good for us. Yes, yes, it is. So uh, we'll see how how this week goes, and uh, you know, I fully expect that we will have a dominating grip on first place at the end of it. I don't know about how you feel. Oh, Andrew, you're still feeling the optimism. <laughs> I, I I can't bring myself to say bold statements like that. I am really <laughs> excited to see us four zero, but. Honestly, I still am just dreading when the bottom falls Could out. you, in and, your uh, wildest dreams of Thursday night, uh, the night before opening day, could could you picture sitting here, uh, it's it's Wednesday afternoon, and we're talking about 4-0 Orioles, we're, we're getting no, ready to play I could not, in my and... wildest dreams, I could not, no way. Uh, but... Now, I will say that in my wildest dreams right now, I can imagine sitting in September and thinking about, oh my god, where are we in the wild card? So that's some serious improvement just since last week. But at that time, there was no way I could have imagined being where we are right now. But yeah, it's only four games, and I certainly haven't drawn any conclusions at all one way or, or any other ways about anybody, any one team, any one player. But, uh, boy, it, it's easy to dream on this team right now, a little bit. It's exciting to be happy in April instead of just already having one week of the season, and it's like, oh, here we go again, which is really what last year was. And that's the biggest reason, as I'm probably going to say 50 times as we do this podcast, 2010 just just blasted me so much as a fan. It's just hard to dream. But... 4-0 start is uh, is helping ease me back into it. It's a little it, bit I, of medicine. Say. A little bit. It is. Every game is another spoonful, Mark. Uh, it is. Uh, pretty soon I'll be like you, and maybe I'll be taking the Kool-Aid powder <laughs> straight in the eyeballs. and uh, Shoot it right into my we'll, eyeballs. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, man. Okay, well... I think that here we are uh, about an hour again. This whole podcast and thing really is kind of addictive. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than than talking to Orioles. So there really isn't, and I didn't realize how much I missed it until the season started up yeah. and we were at Pickles, and I was just surrounded by people who were excited about the Orioles. And yeah, it's it's a great feeling. Life is better when the Orioles are winning. So we're feeling good here in Birdland. So. With that, we've got about an hour till first pitch of tonight's game as we're signing off here. What's going to happen, who knows. But hopefully it's good news, and by the time you hear this, we're all celebrating an unlikely victory over Justin Verlander. But for now, that's all for us. I'm Mark Brown, and for Andrew Gibson, this is Camden Cast. We're out.